Welcome to story time with um, uh, the old man in the shoes. There are two main streets in Aberdeen. The first being King Street, which runs north to south, and the second being Union Street, which intersects in the base of the first, running east to west. There are, of course, other capillary streets, churning their way through the city, but they aren't important to the picture. King Street is a torrid affair. The road was not designed for the knitted volumes of traffic that inch their way along day in, day out. Cycling is the fastest way, if you're prepared to risk an ambitious driver, hoping to beat the traffic by knocking you through a bin at the bottom of the hill. But otherwise, walking is the best way. I imagine everyone who has ever visited the Granite City has touched toes with the King Street concrete. It was a Wednesday afternoon, frost hanging in the air. I was walking up towards the university, cigarette in hand. North is the direction, so I'm inclined to say that I was walking up, but in terms of altitude, I was walking down a hill, uh, a long straight line dotted along the edge with green plastic bus stops. I was walking my usual route, and it was cold, my breath billowing out in front of me, and I was taking in the scenery when I spotted something peculiar. Across the street from me, and some ten metres in front, with his back turned, was a stocky-looking old man wearing a brown hat. The man was standing in line for the bus, and there was nothing particularly unusual about him at a glance. But on further examination, I noticed something curious about his feet. Not curious in a positive or a negative sense, just curious as in curious. Protruding from a contrastingly ordinary pair of trousers were two very different shoes. On the left was a dirtied white trainer, probably many years old. But on the right, the foot appeared to be occupying a bright red stiletto high heel with a point sharp enough to ruin someone's evening on a nightclub dance floor. Perhaps this fashion choice was for political reasons, championing a more accepting culture towards the T in the LGBT plus community. Or maybe it was even a comment upon gender inequality. Maybe he was a poor man and this was simply the only option besides waking up every morning with frost biting into his toes. There was something about this man that made me think that my first impressions were wrong. There was an air of confidence around him, but also a certain heavy weight on his shoulders. The air around him was thick with it. This shoe wasn't just about style or, or politics. This shoe was autobiographical. This man was showing how he'd lived. And boy, had he lived! Time stood still as the man stood there on King Street. This mysterious person had, had known great suffering. Those shoes were saying that, I have indeed walked a mile in your shoes. Could you say the same to me? As they pressed themselves deep into the concrete. The rest of the guy's attire was shabby, in stark contrast to the shined red shoe. This man wasn't 
wasn't showing off. He was no spectacle. And, and from my perspective, he was, he was cut in two by a lamppost, separating me and him with four inches of rolled steel and a babbling river of cars. He wore a russet jacket that was fraying at the sleeves, like it hit the deck hard, rolling down the first two steps of the twenty-step staircase opposite the supermarket around the corner. He'd have caught himself with one of those mountainously thick legs, preventing himself from falling any further. He'd had a wife back then, and from the top of the stairs she laughed and came down to give him a hand. She was always good for a crisis, but the both of them were. Never let themselves be bothered by this deranged world. His unwavering stance almost let me see the faraway look in his eyes from the other side of his head. He wasn't facing me. He was, he was looking in the other direction. Anyways, there was something else about this man. Something that said that, that he'd seen action in his long life. I don't know what it was, uh, but it was the same thing that told me that this man was American in origin. Scotland was an escape for him. He liked the cold and the way that people would never catch your eye in the streets, burying themselves in their own mines and in the paving stones. His reason for leaving America was unfortunately not about Scotland, though, as much as he found himself liking the place. America reminded him of the pain and the heat, the thunder of bullets falling from wet clouds. They didn't appreciate him after the war. He barely even understood what communism was when he was drafted. But there he was, 18 years old, and up to his knees in russet brown mud. He had a total of 2,050 caliber rounds in his back, and he never wanted to watch any burst free from the tip of that machine gun. His job as the A-gunner was to load long chains of these sword tips into his partner's Stoner 63 LMG. The training had lasted barely a week before his boots touched Vietnamese dirt, and his readiness was frankly ambiguous. He hated the thought of killing other men, other boys. He'd seen it happen, but up to that point, he'd, he'd never done it himself. In those days, he truly was young, caked to the nostrils in the russet brown. He'd been looking up into the canopy of a forest, kaleidoscopic in the heat. Far above him, a group of snub-nosed monkeys flitted from branch to branch, about a foot in height with an acutely upturned nose and dark eyes that always seemed a little too large for their heads. From behind, the monkeys were beautiful. They could be an array of shades from cream through the oranges to nearly crimson. An old-looking monkey paused in the branches and caught the boy's eye. The look it gave him said, you shouldn't be here. And whether the monkey's point was political or, or simply in the boy's defense, something changed in its eyes. The boy felt the heat before he heard the pop. A bullet buried itself into his right leg, an Olympic diver making that first impact into the churning pool before he knew what was happening. He was on the floor, in the muck. His unit disappeared as swiftly as the monkeys, and for two more days he laid there on his back, packing russet-coloured mud into his wound. Four years passed. He was back in America. The year was 1975, and our man couldn't work. Every sound in his world curled together into a cacophony of pained expectation. There was nothing for him in America anymore. But he stayed for another ten years. Each success less flavorful than each better disappointment. Life went up and down and 
The surgery on his leg had shortened it, forcing him to wear a platform shoe. Which, uh, by the time it hit the 80s, was a dangerous game. Wearing platform shoes had you labelled as a, a disco dancer, a drug-snaffling, hyper-enthusiastic, dirty lover, a man who had the Saturday night fever. I, personally, never lived in the era of flares and platform shoes, but I knew that as fashion changed in the seasons, this man's leg was a constant. All of this history was, was dancing in front of what I imagined to be his light grey eyes. A cold steel colour, like those bullets on his back. At this point, my view was temporarily obscured by a flatbed truck ambling down King Street. I could almost hear the man sigh for the sound of the truck engine. He'd known good times, our man. As a child, he'd had a dog. A white Scotty dog, just like Greyfriars Bobby. Maybe this was why he felt the allure of our mountainous lands. The Atlantic Ocean from the sky was a sight he'd never forget on that first plane journey. At one point, he couldn't tell where the cloud began and the water ended. The blue was so dense in the air. By the time the flatbed truck moved past the lights, I was directly opposite the old man in the shoes. I turned, hesitating, almost afraid to meet his stare, but knowing that if I didn't, I could never let this go. And so I looked. I saw myself in this man, where I could have been, living differently out of time and place. We were separated by distance, but, but we stood with shoulders square on the same hard concrete. I cocked my head to the side, curious, yet afraid, and, and I looked. I saw that the man had a thick moustache, billowing out from underneath the pointed nose. I looked down, and I saw that the two shoes that I'd earlier seen, protruding from either side of the lamppost, in fact belonged to two totally different people. Um, the red stiletto actually was holding up some, some bitter-looking woman, uh, and my friend uh, actually had two white shoes on instead of one. Sometimes in life, the shoe truly is on the other foot. <laughs>